0: All right. Okay, we're going to continue now. Um, now, tell me about your father and his music, his band.
1: Well, you know, my father comes from a very long line of musicians. Um, so, uh, I, I recall that he would talk about them uh, growing up in Bastrop area and uh, in Utley or Utley, uh, which is a little bit kind of southwest of Bastrop, and um, you know they were all born and raised out there, and a lot of a lot of times they were uh, cotton pickers. They would go out to pick cotton. Uh, my grandmother was uh, from around Manor, and and they all picked cotton as well, and. So that was really their primary, you know, uh, form of sustenance at, at that time. Um, I think that just for a lack of things to do, they would all get together and started playing music as a family. So, um, you know, my dad's, um, my dad's family, um, all of his uncles, you know, like uh, my grandfather's name was Blas, and uh, they they had a lot of brothers, Leonido and Pedro, Locario, Felipe and Eloy. And then they had one sister named Cleotilde. And each one of them were musicians as well. so they they played, um, God, I don't have the list in front of me, but from what I understand, they they ran the gamut of instruments. They, they went from um, you know the saxophones and the guitars and the bass players and the drummers, and they had vocalists. And so they all um you know spent their extra time playing music and and that's that's what I remember my dad talking about um you know and then on my grandmother's side um she also had a lot of brothers and sisters, and I believe i'm trying to think I believe one of one of her siblings also married into uh you know my dad's side of the family so Um, It was an interesting, you know, mix of of families and um, I remember, I have very fond memories of my dad being a musician because they would always come over to the house to practice and so, um, you know, on weeknights they were all practicing there and and it was just a wonderful, you know, just to to me it was just a wonderful thing to hear. Um, I was very young, I was maybe five years old. I recall my dad would put me on a box and would make me sing with them, you know, and and taught me some of those old old rancheros and whatever rancheras, and I loved the the love songs like Cinti and Solamente una Vez, and you know those were the and even at five years old I remember uh, you know singing all these love songs, you know, um, and so I recall that my dad worked a lot, you know, because he had the orchestras, so. Um, they had, um, you know, uh, Ernesto Perez y su orchestra, and then his brother was Ruben Perez Isu orchestra. So um, they had their own, you know, bands after they went to the Korean War, their own orchestras after they went to the Korean War. So um, I just remember, uh, you know, daddy worked during the week, and then on the weekends, he was always, always working as well, playing music and they would travel quite a bit so you know they went uh, down to the valley, they went to west Texas, they went to you know south Texas, they, I mean I just recall them traveling all over Texas you know and and, uh, and performing. Um, I also you know very fondly remember that my mother was such a great piece of that and that she was very supportive of his music and loved Tejano music and Mexican music and um, You know, she would always wait up for him, and she would always cook, like, huge meals for the musicians when they came home. So, maybe at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, the menudo would be ready, and then they would come, the musicians would all come, and and mother would feed everyone. So, I had very fond memories of my mother having such a great part in my dad's success as a musician, you know. Um, I also remember all of the other wonderful musicians, Alfonso Ramos and Ruben Ramos, and Roy Montelongo and, and of course all of daddy's musicians and, and, um, you know, they all played together. They all intertwined the musicians. If one didn't have a bass player or a trumpet player, then they would send one from another band. So I just recall this, you know, just a constant cycle of musicians that, that I still see today in, in some of the, you know, some of the local musicians and bands. It's really wonderful. Um, you know, just still seeing everybody, uh, on Facebook, still, you know, alive and playing music and and sharing their talents with with each yeah. other.
0: Well, I did read your father's oral history interview that he did with Irene was oh, there for the Austin History Center, and as I was reading, then I remembered uh, because Ruben Ramos's uh, sister Inez. Inez, yes, was part of or she used to sing with. Yes but you see we never i never put it together you know uh and so and she enjoyed it and i'm not sure it was i think one of her aunts so it could have been your mother i don't know there was a seamstress one of them would make her dresses or would get her you Aww. know and so um she talks about when um i it was either your father or your uh or his brother that went to her and said we want you to sing in the band, and that was the one thing, too, that I found fascinating for that time period, yes. being that she was, you know, the sister yes, of Ruben and Alfonso, you know, of the Ramoses, right. and it, it was a Perez that she was, you know, uh, singing with, Right. <laughs> so it, uh, but no, I never put two and two together, and then also, I understand, for reading, um, the, uh, interview that, uh, your father, uh, there was a couple of records that were done mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yep, yeah, they did. And, uh, of course, back then, there was not a lot of recording things available. And the music wasn't really written down, you know, most of them played by ear and you know they were just trying to make a living they were happy to make their 50 bucks for the whole band or 100 bucks for the whole weekend or whatever that was the very a pittance really um and just trying to make a living for their families more so than trying to document anything and and become a star or you know i think all of that just happened you know uh as a byproduct of them being such great musicians and such personable men, you know, and mm-hmm. honorable families, you know. Um, you know, we were very, very fortunate that, you know, um, in, in this day and age you hear a lot about these wild bands and rock and roll musicians and so many wonderful musicians have passed away from drugs and alcohol and all of that. And I, I don't recall, um, you know, I'm very grateful that I don't have those memories of all of our musicians. Most of them are still alive and and not to say that w- there was no you know that there was nothing no partying going on mm-hmm. or whatever because they played in bars they played at nights and and there was you know wildness all around us you know but uh my parents were um you know they 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 just stayed away from that aspect of it and um you know so it was um it was just a really honorable um um line of work at that time you know but uh yeah there wasn't a lot of recordings at the time there wasn't you know uh, there just wasn't a lot of high technology so what little recordings there are are really really wonderful uh, to have and i believe my uncle ruben also uh recorded a couple of, of records um and of course you know alfonso and Ru- and, and ruben have have done quite a bit and then I also had uh, my dad's uncles that were in Houston. I believe at one time we had 13 Perez and Ramos bands in Houston Goodness. alone, 13 bands in Houston alone of the Perez kids and Perez, you know, Familia and the orchestras and my mm-hmm. uncle Eloy and and uh, Neto Perez uh, was also a very, uh, you know, popular musician down in Houston. But he died in a car crash coming back from one of the tocadas late night, so that was a huge loss to our family. But the rest of my uncles, uh, you know, lived to be about a hundred years old and they played the violin and, you know, the guitars and the basses and, and the saxophones until the day they they died. So it, it was really an amazing thing to to see the family, how prolific it was musically. Yeah.
0: So you have, actually, your background in, is in music and in the arts, so I can see now we're going to go into the uh, the images of the period in which you uh, became involved with the MAC. Yes. Um. And what was that time period? When did you actually become involved? Well, you know, I, I mean, I was on
1: the board of, well, let's put it this way maybe about 30 years ago I began in the early 70s I began to realize that there was a very great need for for our culture and our heritage to be um celebrated you know and um so I think that's my dad hey dad you want to come and say hello this is uh Um, so, so I think, you know, as I was in high school, you know, I always studied classical music and, and European style Baroque music and opera and whatnot, and, and of course at that time, you know, it was, um, you know, it was a time when I was really getting into music, but I loved rock and roll music, and I loved country music, and, you know, all of these different kinds of genres, but I began to realize that, um, you know and i had heard that other people also were trying to uh establish a mexican cultural center so that was that was probably you know the first that i heard of it was in the early 70s and so um you know i tried to get involved and, and attend some of their meetings and uh i remember at one point we had something called the latino arts uh, coalition Laca, I think LACA. it was called, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I got involved with Laka. I got involved with uh, you know, there were there were so many groups in, in uh in East Austin. It was a very political time there with the Brown Berets and all of these other groups and and um, you know, I had to make a choice of whether I wanted to be in the political movement or if I wanted to, you know, stay in this in this, you know, in this vein of of my musical cultural heritage. And so that's basically what i chose and and uh, so i started working closely with uh you know with with um you know the early mexican cultural center um uh activists you know and and that included um you know like city council members and um you know other people in in the latino community um that were you know in the arts so there were musicians there were dancers there were writers there were artists um there were just activists in general you know um and so i came uh into the scene and decided that we really needed something for the kids and that that seemed to be my you know that was that was seemed to be my calling was was for the children And so, excuse me, so about that early, or in the early period, you know, we we were just fighting for the Mexican Cultural Center. We were fighting for a piece of land. We were, you know, we really had, really it was a battle because, I mean, we had a cultural center. We had an American cultural center. We had theaters. We had, you know, ballet places. We had the Dougherty Art Center. We had all of these wonderful, you know, uh, things around town, but we had, you know, we had the Museum of Art, we had uh, Laguna Gloria, um, you know, we had uh, Zachary Scott, we had all these wonderful venues, but there was nothing specifically for Mexicans and and, uh, Mexican-Americans and Latinos, Chicanos, Mexicanos, whatever, you know, labels they put on us, you know. So um, I decided to get involved and just got it started, you uh, you know, with the meetings, with uh, Sam Coronado and and uh, Valdez that painted the murals Rose. and yeah Raúl Valdez and and uh, about that time we started getting a lot of people that were kind of moving into Texas like Silvia Orozco came in into the scene and um, now there was a family that did um, the danza over on East Seventh Street Salinas yes the Salinases mm-hmm. yeah so worked closely with Rowan and. And uh and then of course Kathy uh Vasquez Revilla, I think she was uh you know, had the little newspaper at that time and and Romeo had his little newspaper and and so um you know I just uh just became very, very engrossed in that aspect, you know, of, of the Mexican culture. And and then of course, you know, over it just kind of progressed and, and uh we finally um you know, we had uh, what was called uh, CIMACA, the Center for Mexican-American Cultural Arts. And so I got onto the board of that. Um, At that time, uh, I think Rowan was on the board. I think Sylvia was on the board. Um, There were- Kathy, Valerie. Kathy, yeah, Valerie was was on that board as well. And so that's kind of where, that was the early, the very early you know, aspect of it. I don't know if you ever saw this. Uh, Tomas Salas was very involved. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I can't remember his name, but he was um, on the board. Uh, I can't no, remember, but he was on the board as well. Um, and uh, so anyway, so that that was really kind of the, the way it got started, okay? And and it was the, the CMACA group. Now, then we went through the citizens bond committee. And so we tried to get this, these bonds passed. Um, and we were successful, you know, it took us several tra- tries, but with Marta Cotera and, uh, you know, she was, uh, the staunch, you know, supporter. And she was really, uh, amazingly, uh, one of our leaders, you know, in, in this, in this particular movement. And, um, so that's kind of the way it just you know got started it took us many many years then as you know it progressed um we finally you know got to to the progression where we were actually going to uh you know build a center but we realized that we needed 30 million dollars and so we were unable to raise that money and as a result it was um you know between the city of Austin the city council the parks and recreation and the seamaca you know we negotiated this property it was 6.2 acres of land so um i'm so grateful that we got that at least that taken care of you know because then it would be many, many years, you know, that we kind of just squatted on the land and and had pastorelas, and and everybody had their little art shows, you know, if it was outside, it was cold, there was no electricity, they were, you know, everybody was kind of, it was an interesting era, it was kind of a, a, you know, very raw time, but we never wavered in, um, in the culture and in the arts and in the community, and everybody stuck together, and and uh, and of course there were disagreements, and and uh, you know boards changed, and but um, we finally the city, uh, the Parks and Recreation Department finally came in, and they um, took over with an advisory board, and then the wheels began to turn, because now the city you know had more power and control, and and so they were able to finally, you know, get the architects together, which was um, Del Campo and Maru, and uh, this wonderful uh, uh, De Leon from uh, Mexico City, and then through Jaime Beeman. So we all worked together with the architects and decided, you know, what we wanted and what we needed, which was classroom space and dancing space and an auditorium, and we wanted a Zócalo and, you know, and uh and then when um when De Leon from Mexico City his vision was what the Mac is now, which mm-hmm. is the pyramids and, and the hand chiseled stone and the snake going through there and um so of course we were um, you know absolutely thrilled when all of that actually happened, you know. In the meantime, um city council member Raul Álvarez was doing the trail of Tejano Legends and so that's uh that's when i got involved with um you know pushing for the Perez and Ramos family to be honored uh at the mac so the the name of the Mexican Cultural Center the original name for the Zocalo was Perez and Ramos Plaza and then the Emma Barrientos name came up uh you know more recently um, and hopefully, we will name each phase of it, you know, after a uh, uh, you know an, a, a Mexican American great, or a Latino great, musician or artist or dancer. You know, uh, I mean, we've we've always that was always our mission is that we were going to, uh, you know, uh, entertain the masses and to teach the masses of the cultures of of all the different genres. You know, so so, and then about about that time um, I asked my dad if he would be willing to do an after-school program with the children in the neighborhood and he said that he would so uh, for almost 10 years I think we did an after-school program uh, at the Terrazas Library called the Willow Street Neighborhood Cultural Music Project and so dad and I would go in after school with all these little kids that had nowhere to go and nothing to do after school but running around and and um, you know getting into trouble and so we would pull them in and and uh and we just began to um to teach them you know some of some of the music and uh so they were a little bitty like this and they were singing all these wonderful songs you know and um uh, and so that that was you know that's how I got started with the uh with the Willow Street Cultural Music Project and I think we served about 600 children uh you know over over uh, those years, and they learned. You know, again, they learned a lot of wonderful music from my father, and and uh, and they sang. Um, you know, and, and they danced, and we had ballet folklorico come in, and uh, La Pena was was uh, was actually my umbrella project under the city of Austin. The city of Austin at that time had these wonderful grants for cultural, you know, for cultural arts. And so that's that's how, you know, we got started, and I worked with Mexicarte and and with La Peña, and they hosted us for different, you know, art shows. You know, the kids, the kids were doing art, music, dance, and drama. So dad would come in for the musical piece, and then we would get like Sam Coronado or other artists, you know, to come in and, and do the art pieces with them. And then the ballet folklorico, then we would have somebody come in to do that with them, you know, so we tried to give them as much as we could. And then it kind of got, and then it kind of changed, you know, this particular uh, thing was for Lorraine Camacho family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a say celebration. But these kids, this is a kid spinning on his head. At that point, you know, the kids were into different kinds of music. So we had to kind of tailor to them. And yeah. so they started break dancing. So we had a little break dancing group, which they just, you know, they loved that. There was probably 15 young boys, which I really think that this program saved these children's lives and that they went on to be proud of who they were and their culture. And that when they went to high school that they all joined bands and music. And, and so, you know, it just gave us a, a, just a wonderful sense of accomplishment and and just, you know, th- these kids were, you know, they really needed something to do. Um, and, and so this came, this worked out really, really great. And then of course they would perform at the Mexicarte or they would perform at, at La Pena for their occasions. Um they they um you know they sang at the Pastorellas, they performed in, in uh in, in different plays and things. Um we had a lot of collaboration with the um the Dowerty Arts Center and with um um the Zachary Scott Theatre and other musicians, you know. Um and so, you know, we it was just an honor to have them come in Um, and, and, you know, to learn about the traditional contemporary styles of Conjunto, Tejano, European music, Caribbean styles. They started, they studied musicals, ballet, folklorico, opera, jazz, rock and roll, hip hop, country, Western, and then of course the rap music. Um, and then, um, you know, they, they, they danced and, uh, then they did their own things, you know, a lot of times, they, you know, uh, this is when the Macarena was huge, so everybody got up to do the Macarena, and and it was just a wonderful collaboration, I, you know, it really was. This one was a collaboration with the American Institute for Learning, which most of those kids got kicked out of high school, and so they went to these alternative schools, and so we got together with, with that program, and, uh, you know, and we did this one, which was Love Songs from the Streets. And this was at the Zachary Scott Theater. And they performed La Bamba and Guantanamera. And um, (coughs) they did their own, you know, funky stuff. And it was just, um, it was an amazing, it was an amazing, uh, amazing program, you know. And at that time, Sam Coronado was very, very supportive and also started his own little program with the, the, yeah, with the Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Seria. So it was about that time. And then um this was the pastorella where the kids uh you know performed and there's Irene who's doing Petras Pecado. and you know, so at that at that time we were, you know, there were a a, a lot of different, you know um just a lot of different troops, whether it was drama and, you know, so it was really a very exciting time.
0: Where was that one being performed at? It's Probably a, in San
1: Antonio. Okay. Um, oh, this one? No, this one is at the Dougherty Art Center. Down. You talking about Petras Pecado or are you talking about uh, the La Pastorella? La Pastorella? The Pastorella was always <clears throat> at 600 River Street.
0: Okay, so that was in that old uh-huh. building? Yeah, okay. yeah, the,
1: the, we, the building wasn't built yeah. yet. That's why I said yeah. we were kind of squatting on the land because we didn't really know if it was going to be ours or if we were going to be successful. But it was an old transportation bridge maintenance right. site for the city, so there were old buildings there and uh and that's where we did uh the original um the original pastorelas and Boyd Vance uh, mm-hmm. was with us of course he passed away God rest his soul he was wonderful too with the kids um, and uh so we and there's Paul Saldaña and Marta Cotera and Gus Garcia. And so we just had a lot of support just all the way around um, for for not only the Mexican Cultural Center, but, but for the Willow Street kids and La Peña and Mexicarte and Rowen's group, uh, you know, the, the Ballet
0: Folklorico. Can you, can you talk a little about the actual buildings that were on that land, on 600 River? Yeah. Now, the reason I ask is because I'm trying to put this pieces of mm-hmm. this puzzle together, yeah. um, Tomas Salas yes. gives a description, and Clemencia Zapata yes. also. Yeah. Now, one of the things is, at the September 26th program that we did, 600 River Street, the long road to completion, <laughs> uh, we were trying to get photographs of the way that the buildings looked and so forth, because we were trying to put snippets of their oral history interviews uh-huh. and intertwine them with the photographs.
1: Yeah,
0: But uh, it wasn't until the next week after the program was over that we found several documents that had uh, photographs of those buildings. But now it talked about the buildings and there was like seven buildings at one point, right. six or seven buildings. But there were several, of they had the cost of how much it was going to cost to renovate, how much it was going to cost to demolish. Yeah. And so, but can you sort of give me a description? Because I think at the end, there might have been like three or four buildings that were left. Yeah, To there were. be used. Yeah. And so can you sort of give us a Well, visual?
1: if you are driving down River Street, that road... Where it stops now, it actually went all the way down to the river, mm-hmm. and so on the right was the facility, and it was basically a street and bridge maintenance yard. So the big trucks that ice down in the winter time and that do the street cleaning and all of that—that that was where they were housed. Because my my uh, step grandfather worked there. So if you pull into the Mac, you know the lot itself, then there was the big barn. It was like a uh just sheet metal barn basically and, and uh and that's where they housed, you know, uh that department. Now in the back I remember a lot of uh gas pumps and oil pumps and stuff that they used, you know, to service all of the vehicles. And then on this side of things where the parking lot is, was actually um the forestry department, if I'm not mistaken. So we had uh several buildings there the The one building that we really used primarily was uh the big tin building but there were i remember just a few little shack like buildings on you know on the river side of it um and they were just um they were just workspaces for the guys um i I remember just lots of tools and and i think that was one of the issues that the city had that it was going to cost them a lot of money to get that cleaned up because of the oil tanks and because of the spillage and and everything. And I'm just so grateful that all of that was was uh, dealt with and and um, you know we we were able to to secure the property.
0: Yeah, the. <clears throat> I just remember it being really cold. That's during what they That's what they all say. <laughs> we froze our butts um, off. And they There's also talk picture. about uh, the description <laughs> of of uh, the offices the building where the offices were yeah. at. Uh-huh. Um, I think the forestry building, that looked to be pretty good condition. Yes, white was. building or something like that. They were it probably 50
1: good. years old,
0: 60, yeah. 70 years old. But, um, you know, they talk about the, uh, uh, that there were <laughs> raccoons in the area and so <laughs> forth, but, and that amazes me because I also want in this project, because it is one that is not only about the building, yeah, the struggle, but about the community and about the people, and yes, the struggle and all of yeah. that, to get all of it together. Yeah, but I can imagine because when you look at those, and you see what amazes me is how if you're going into the Mac, there's that great big old tree, uh-huh, and then you have to go around like this, right. and then go like what that way. Uh-huh. And so I always think, well, was that tree? Was that there? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <it> um, was. <laughs> but the 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 as I look, in the one of the photographs that we did find was actually Rainy Street. Yeah. And I mean, it's so different uh-huh, now yeah. than what it was. Oh being. yeah,
1: it was all beautiful homes.
0: But I don't think people really comprehend. <laughs> no. Uh, what it was then, no. and what it is now, yeah. and yeah. the the design of the building is what really is, you know, spectacular. Yes. So yes, um,
1: Teodoro, Teodoro <coughs> de Leon, that's whose vision it was, and and we were so lucky. You know, Jaime gave a beautiful speech the other day about how. How they, you know, were involved in it, so yeah, yeah. it was just unbelievable.
0: Were you in the group of Simaca that went to San Jose? That yes, went
1: tri- I was in the group at the time, but I was unable to travel, so I did not get. Although oh. I have now since gone to see the other cultural centers, like in Albuquerque and um, Santa Fe, and uh, and I see that ours is is uh, you know it's smaller but not any more or less meaningful to the community and to the culture. Now, what I really enjoy about the Mexican Cultural Center is that you see a lot of Mexicans there, you know. When you go to the other cultural centers, at, you know, like in Albuquerque, we we actually had an event there with uh, Libro Traficantes, which mm-hmm. is another mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, we traveled, you know, with, with all of these books and we went there um, to to get some books from, you know, from some writers there. And, and they hosted an event of Poetry Evening and I was really, I was sort of disappointed to see that there was probably 800 Anglo people there. So that's who supports the cultural center there, you know, um, even though it was, uh, you know, a, a beautiful uh, event that evening with, you know, all the cultures being represented. But um, I'm just grateful that this is for the people and by the people and actually the people come, you know. Yeah,
0: and that is one of the things also. Let me ask you this question because when I... um talked to Dr. Ivara Frasto about coming yeah. to do the, the, you know, to be the keynote speaker. Uh, and he came to Austin um, on a Saturday and met with a group of people yes. that had gotten together. Yeah. And, and, and the title of his speech, of his presentation, was uh, the Community Cultural Centers, Guardians of Our Culture. Yes. And of course, you know, the the diversity of the different cultural centers right. and so forth. Yeah. But the differences yet if when you think in terms of and I sorta of compared uh the Mac to that of our uh of the uh Guadalupe Cultural Center yeah. in San Antonio. Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, and we worked very closely with um yeah. Okay daddy, bye bye. Um, we worked very closely with um, with the people from San Antonio, uh, because our cultural centers and our artists and our musicians and our dancers, we all worked together. Rodney Garza was also on the Mac board at that mm-hmm. time, and he worked back and forth. Irene Gonzalez was an actress, and she did, um, you know, Petras Pecados and Petras Cuentos. And and at that time, I was going to school over there, and so I was volunteering for. The Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center, and we did uh, Las Nuevas Tamaleras. And so we were joined at the hip, not only through the arts and the music and the culture, but the danza. They were all danza. You know, they were all Malinche dancers or, or Azteca dancers, right? With uh, Jose Flores and yeah. and uh, Mary Jane, uh, I mean, uh, what was her name? Marsha Gomez. And Montejeda?
0: Uh, was he part of that? Who?
1: Juan Tejeda, Juan Tejeda, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jose Flores, and and uh, and then of course you know Clemencia, and so we all worked together. We all grew up together. We all performed together. And we all fought together for for the cultural arts. I mean, we had to because, you know, the monies were were spread amongst all of the groups. And and, uh, traditionally and historically, we had not gotten a little piece of the pie. So it was a a very great honor and a blessing to work with the San Antonio. And then, of course, we had the Conjunto Festivals together and through La Peña and Mexicarte, and we were all on each other's boards. And so then we started having the Conjunto Festivals and the Pastorelas. and to this day, uh, I think that, I mean, the pastorella is in full swing right now. They've already got the cast going and they're already rehearsing, and so I'm really looking forward to, yeah. to that this year.
0: If you were to compare back in the late 90s, when they started doing the pastarella and all there, yes. at the O, compare that to the present with uh, some of the events that are being held can you compare that what's the what's is, is there a piece of that ingredient back then that is missing now? uh I don't
1: think there's anything missing. I think that things have changed such that it was a little more simpler back then, you know, like the props were simple, the music was handmade um the costumes were handmade, you know we were in in an old building that was freezing cold, but the spirit was there, and the community was present. And now we have this incredible high-tech, you know, place where you know, I mean, we have all of the, the videos and these, you know, the new, all of these new gadgets that we have that assist us with, uh, with the performance aspect of it, whether it's video cameras, whether it's lighting, the stage, the props, and you know, everything, uh, you know, having an actual stage as opposed to just being on the ground and bringing the burro in the back door or whatever, you know. We actually have, you know, doors and, and you know, room for the musicians. We have a stage, we have a backstage, you know, we have a dressing area, we have bathrooms, you know. It's a it's a very, um, it's it's much different. I think the enthusiasm is still there. What I find really, really wonderful is that those of us who have been here for 30 or more years, like Marta and and Clemencia and myself and Tomas and everybody, that we are still, we're still the backbone. Because like, for instance, the other day when the big developers wanted to take that little piece of property in front and build those high-rises, I mean, we came out of the woodwork and we were on the front lines with city council and and just, you know, just... uh, just appealing to their to their senses, you know, of of just what what is right as far as uh, this culture and the history and the magnitude of the decision they were they were preparing to make, you know. So it was great to see everybody come out in full force for those meetings, and 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 we were successful. Um, but the ones that are actually doing the productions are the younger kids, and the ones that are actually producing the. You know, of course, you know, Clemencia still performs and, you know, daddy still performs, you know, so we still have people out there that are in their 80s and and younger, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s that are still very much part. Manuel Donley, Alfonso Ruben, my dad, you know, Clemencia and her bands, Jose Flores and all of these, you know, musicians, uh, they're all still out there performing and, and passing on. To the other generations, this, this beauty and this culture. Um, I was amazed uh, at the Mexican Cultural Center the other day when, when we did the collaboration with the woman from El Paso and the, mm. the artist from Oaxaca. And so it's like uh, just full circle. You know, we've gone full circle now. The MAC is built, um, you know, for the most part, and uh, we have mm. generations of people coming. Uh, to enjoy it and what gave me the most joy was to see all those little kids cut the, the ribbon cutting ceremony. So I got some really cute pictures of that. That really touched my heart because that's who the Mexican Cultural Center was designed for. Our children and our grandchildren. Yeah.
0: Future generations. Yes. Which is one of the things where this project is, is being done is because they need to fully understand. Um, what it took to get it and what right now, you know, I know that in some cases the scars are still there, the emotional scars, uh, and I can fully understand that. When I listen to these interviews, um, and uh, unfortunately I've not had the opportunity to do all of them. I wish I would have. Because then I really would have been ask, asking questions that I know pertain to that time period. Yeah. But still, um I I understand all of that. Yeah. Being in and I always say this and they say, Go ahead, don't say it, but I am <laughs> an outsider. I mean I've only lived here for a little over four and a half years. Yeah. I've managed to learn a lot yeah. and I feel like I'm a sponge just <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. but um, where where did, where were you raised? Um, just in, in Victoria, oh, okay, which is yeah. 120 miles yeah. from here. But it is one of those things that I feel that because it is not documented, that is the sad part. When you look yeah. at the books, mm-hmm. when you read the articles, yeah. if it wasn't for some of the articles in Arriba, right. La Prensa, right. uh, Austin Light, it went yeah. you know at some point. La fuerza would have some of what Mm -hmm. was going on. Yeah, Um, but you know, yes, the Austin American Statesman has some, but it isn't going to be Mm -hmm. you know more to yeah to what was going on or a small
1: part in the Austin American Statesman. Yeah, Yeah. and Mexicarte Museum had this little community art. Yes.
0: Yes, and, La Peña yeah. had yep. their own newsletter. Yep,
1: we had a newsletter.
0: Um, so yeah. that is the thing. And, 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 but you see, people are not going to take the time to go paper by paper by paper, page by page by page. Yeah. So to be able to sit and look at a book, um, you know. Yeah, that's going to be great. It's going to be, I mean, that I see that. As yeah, this,
1: it's going to be great for those of us that... You know that that lived it, and you know living through the turmoilish of it. The turmoil part of it was the fact that you know we were all working class people, and we all had children and families to raise. And I can remember people coming, you know, bringing their instruments, bringing you know their children, whatever, and and um, you know being either old instruments or falling apart or breaking, or you know they didn't have a case for it, or they were all you know battered and but um you know it, it everybody everybody brought to the table what they had and 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 it was really every person was a gem i mean every single person that we have talked about today every name that we have mentioned they were all uh, just a, a little piece of gold you know in 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 that they were all wonderful artists and musicians and we all had the same we all had that same you know, fervor for for our cultura, you know, and 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 um, our our musica and and our whether it was art, music, dance, drama, theater, you know, we went round and round when when we were working together. You know, there was no there was not anybody that was that was given any more weight in the decisions that we made for the Cultural Arts Center um, because we were all we all felt that we were all equal. There there were just there, there was no distinction there, you know. It was for everyone.
0: What, because I'm listening to you, and that passion is coming out, and I hear you talk a lot about the young kids, the future generation, uh, having worked with them at the time um, that you were involved with on the board in going through this process for the MAC. But what was it overall, what was it that really... Um, that um uh, that you I, i'll I'll use the word fought um uh, to the for the creation of the mac what was was there something there Whew, wow,
1: where do we start well, first of all, I think financially that was the hardest part for us is we just did not have a the money to buy the land and b the money to actually build the center so um you know, again, everything else you know was secondary. The props we 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 did we did all of the productions on our own. Everybody brought things from their houses, and you know, everybody had costumes. You know, um, but I think the real fight, and this is very hard for me to say because, you know, I I grew up in in a, a wonderful, loving Christian Mexican family, but then I moved here into a completely Anglo world, and we never spoke Spanish, and we never really got to deal with our culture again, because it was a very white society, and the music I had to learn was, was European, was American, was, you know, uh, Americana, and, um, you know, then we started listening to American music, and, and so I was very torn between the two worlds, you know. Um, The fight for me was that, you know, I, I, I did not feel that there was a prejudice involved, but it seemed like everybody else thought that it was sort of a uh, a, 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 a cultural uh, a cultural battle. You know that the the Anglo's had more and and were gonna you know not gonna share it, and then that we were for some reason we were being Uh, you know squashed you know and and I mean and I saw it and I understood it except that I was now on the other side of the fence and so it I had to be very very cautious about how I approached it because you know I had all of these wonderful friends on on the Anglo aspect of things right whether they were bankers or they were politicians or whether you know they had the money to to help And then I was also on the other side of, you know, of, of I-35, basically, you know, where I grew up and where my heart and the culture was. And yet we were being, um, we weren't being left out of the, of the pieces of the pie, but we were getting less. So say for instance, I received $3,000 for my cultural group, but, you know, uh, all these other groups were getting three million dollars, you know. So we did feel a little bit. Um, there was, there was. I think that was the biggest battle was sort of the cultural battle, you know. Um, but again, you know, Austin is a very diverse city, and there are Latinos in, in, uh, you know, at the legislature, at the city council, at the parks and recreation, on the boards and the banks. And so together and collectively, um, we worked it out, you know, without uh, without a big fight, um, which, was, which was really great, because in the end, the whole city benefits from this cultural center. I don't care what color you are, what race you are, where you come from, and who, you know, it benefits everyone. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see the cultures, you know, meshing there. And it's not just for Latinos, of course, you know. There's many, many organizations that use it on a regular basis, you know. So I, I think the biggest, um, you know, the biggest battle for us, besides the blood, sweat, and tears, you know, of, of, uh, of you know, living through that era and, and getting the final product, which we still don't have, you know, yeah. we still have two phases, you know, yeah. but uh, I don't think that anybody's going to, you know, hand over the $50 million that we need right now, and you never know, we may, but I think... To me, and I've always said this is that I think a lot of the responsibility falls on us, the Latinos, the Hispanos, los Chicanos, Mexicanos, Nativos Americanos, whatever you want to call it. We do need to kind of come together and try to raise some of that money. You know, it's not just going to fall in our laps. You know, and and I think that that is one of the things about the board of directors that uh, you know that that I think that we failed in that arena. It was in in uh, you know that we should have been able to raise at least ten million dollars maybe $20 million, 30, 40, 50. That's a lot of money, but it can happen, you know, but I think with, I think we can still do it. You know, I mean, we just need to find the right combination of people to do the grants. There's lots of, you know, there's lots of monies out there for culture. maybe not as much as there was, you know, uh, in, in, in the past, but um, you know, it's just been, it's just been a, uh, it's, it's been a battle for sure. It didn't come easy, um, but I, I don't, uh it, you know there there just wasn't anything in particular that that you can pinpoint and say that it was really a huge fight now i i would imagine that marta cotera and other people would have uh would have a difference of opinion on that yeah. <laughs> because you know we when we went into negotiations with city council and city staff and city attorneys and you know um it, I do remember sort of, you know, kind of a tug of war um, because it was a huge amount of money. You know, thirty million dollars was a lot of money, yeah. and uh, so. But I, I would say that would be the biggest battle was the bonds, uh, trying to get the bonds. But um, but other than that, you know, I, I think it all went pretty peaceful, and and uh, we certainly all tried to work together, even though you know, as artists, there were some headbutting and. But I think in the long run, uh, it worked out. And we've lost a lot of them, you know, like Raul Salinas. Yeah. And, you know, we've lost a lot of, uh, you know, the people that really, really supported us and, and help, helped us, you know, um, to, uh, to to be where we were at and, and to have as much diversity as we do, you know, because we did want to include all of the genres. Yeah. So I'm really grateful for that.
0: Well, one of the things about this project is that, to me, Everyone is entitled to their opinion and to however, you know, because they, as they were working with it, that was the feelings that they had. Yeah, And Absolutely. it is not, you know, we're not doing it to rewrite the history because that, you can't rewrite the history. Right. It stays the way it is. Um, yeah. But the thing is that we need to write the history. Yeah. Regardless. And that's going to be up to... The yeah. uh, researcher yeah. to those individuals that will come in yeah. and will have all of this information, yeah. because um, right now it doesn't. What is amazing to me, and I, you know, when uh, Juan Olivares um, got oh, yeah. up and and talked that night of the pro uh, of the program on the twenty sixth of September, uh, to tell the audience about. Um, what the developers were trying to do about the Mm -hmm. city trying to sell the land, and at first I kept thinking, but what land, but you know the whole thing (laughs) was that it was amazing because you saw that building right in front, you know it wasn't, it was, it's been there maybe what a year, Mm -hmm. a year and a half Mm -hmm. possibly, Mm -hmm. maybe two tops, Um, and at first I thought, well why is this building here? Mm And then when he was saying, well, you know, a high-rise uh, garage building, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, it's gonna block the, 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 the building, of the MAC. And I had done the interview with Valerie Menard. Yes,
1: and Valerie, yeah. Um,
0: and she had described the, because no one has as of yet, and maybe if they start putting, what the final? Yeah. What it will really look like yeah. at the end. Right. If that was starting to be put out there, right. this is what it's going to look mm-hmm. like. But she described it as being seen from I-35 mm-hmm. and being able to see yes. yeah. the final two, you know, yes. which really is going to stand out. right? And I can't even see the small little sign as you're going on the frontage road, right. turning on to right, the river, yeah. you know, that the Met- Mexican American Cultural yeah. Center, you know. So it's like. Uh, well, you we know, need we, to.
1: we won the battle. So we don't, there will be no building built. They there. Wanna, yeah.
0: No? Well. Or at least the developer is not going to at acquire this point, the property. Yes, right, yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, now, somebody told me, one of the board members told me, that a resolution was drawn up but going back and listening to what Gus Garcia talked about when the land was you know originally originally mm-hmm, negotiated the 6.2 acres yeah right there was a resolution but yeah. in listening to him, he said that resolution right means nothing.
1: Well, because that was for the 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 CIMACA, the board of directors at the time. You know, we got the land and it was for fifty years, and then once it once it turned over to the city, then it was in perpetuity.
0: Well, yeah, it, but she said yes because it, or he said because you have to have an ordinance. Ordinance stands out. Mm. Now there has been a suggestion that possibly. If a developer wanted to build the land, the city sold it. Would the Mac board say okay? They can build the garage if all of that money comes to the Mac, so it can build.
1: Yeah, it I don't. I don't think the board is going to vote on that. Um, I mean, you know, I I I made a joke on the internet the other day. It's like, I was like, okay, great, we won. Now, you know, because they were trying to give us 30 parking spaces, well, you know, my family alone is 900 people, that's not going to work, you know. (laughs) So uh, there's a lot of us, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, we have to be very careful, Uh, you know, you know, you want to say, well, we'll cross that bridge when it gets there, but, you know, the battle is still, you know, very much alive. You know, we're lucky to have 6.2 acres. We, we were offered $30, $40 million for that part of that property. I mean, people were just coming from all around the world, begging the city to give them that land. They would pay $30 million, $20 million, whatever. And, uh, you know, we were able to work together and collaboratively and secure the property for the Mexican Cultural Center. And so, you know, that's it. It's ours. And it should be. It's a little tiny piece of land in a big, huge state where there are millions and millions of us, where there used, this used to be Mexico. My family alone has been here for over 200 years. Most of these families that you're doing the interviews with have been here for 100 years. So, you know, we deserve, a, you know, a little piece of the pie. And I think that's been the biggest battle for everybody is thats is that we've always felt, you know, less than. But it's just not true, you know. I mean, we, we have to stand proud and stand tall and you know celebrate who we are as a community and our individual families and you know we've all lived together we've all worked together and toiled together and thank goodness that you know that those of us who chose to come forward and be a part of of this um great movement really um you know are still still here and still alive and really, you know, trying to pass it down to the other generations. It may not be my children, it may not be my grandchildren, but it's going to be it's still going to be ours, you know, and, and uh it could be your children or your grandchildren, you know. I mean it still belongs to the to the community and, and uh so it's there and it's not going anywhere and it's getting better and better and and I'm just so pleased with uh, you know, with the way that things have turned out, especially this past week when we had the yeah. big huge battle with the developers, because you know it was two tenths of a of an acre. come on, you know that was just was not enough to be fighting over, but it 's something enough that that we did need to kind of fight about it, you know or at least discuss it and and i 'm grateful that we had the opportunity to to work with the developers, even though they really didn 't really give but we were all at the same table and and so that's that is more i think than we've had in the past um and at least in some people's minds you know that we were always just given you know the you know the remnants or whatever but and it may have been uh you know but uh you know i choose not to look at it that way yeah. you know
0: well i just the thing about that area to me and is is that when you look at that, and I've really gotten, because every project that I've done, all six projects since I've been here, programs, have been at the MAC. Yeah, good. I'm at the Austin History Center. Great. My building is the Austin History Center, but all of my programs Uh have been at the MAC. Wonderful. And so, we're beginning to see more and more people attending these programs there. So it's like, you know, um I I s I I've been there for the these of September. I've been there for uh some of these other programs that just a few people attend. Right. Not very many. Yeah. So I've seen that, you know, mixture. Yes, and yeah. uh but yet at the same time I know the importance of that building and again yes. I know the history yeah. and I also know what it took to be all on these boards and yes. everybody working. Yes, and we've together. all been so lucky to to uh,
1: to have worked together. But you know that that uh, that area because my parents own one, two, three, three pieces of property over there, and it's actually a Swedish settlement. Mm-hmm. So you know the Swedish were the ones that originally settled there, and then. Um, you know, as, as, you know, times changed and with the legislature and the state jobs and the university, then they mostly migrated, you know, a little bit to the north. And so then it became, uh, primarily a Mexican-American community. I mean, we were always present, but it was, you know, it was primarily an Anglo neighborhood and then it changed over to the, to the, you know, to primarily uh the mexican neighborhood and mexican american neighborhood you know because at that time there was a lot of influx from mex from mexico and um and it just became uh you know a latin american a latino community and um you know it it's now of course with um you know whatever you want to call it gentrification or whatever you know it the face of the neighborhood has changed there's no doubt about it and and the face of every neighborhood has changed. And yes, the taxes have went up, gone up. And yes, it's been very very difficult for people to maintain, um, you know, their standard of living and and still live in that neighborhood because now it really has gone sky high. The taxes, you know. And the other thing is that we have always uh, it's always been a battle because they have come in and taken out blocks of homes to build whatever and so along willow street and spence street and holly and and all of these you know gardens you know all of the streets there in our neighborhoods where we all still own property and still live there our families are there it's still a battle because the developers are encroaching and they they're paying big money and they want to take a whole row and say we're going to build medical offices we're going to build therapists offices we're going to build architects you know, they want to come in, buy the inexpensive land and either raise the land, tear the houses down and build their own, you know, McMansions or whatever they're going to do. And it and so it's still a battle for us. You know, there's no reason that we should tear down the houses on Willow Street or on Spence or on Holly for these big developers to come in and build, um, you know, offices. I mean, there, there's just other places to do that, you know. Than for them to come in and uproot three hundred years of history, you know, my dad's going to be gone, I'm going to be gone, but my children and grandchildren need
0: homes, you know. I mean, we still need our homes and our properties. You talk about developing this right here on South Lamar. I mean, we were just at Casa Garcia today, you know, for lunch. So sad, and breaks my heart. All of that will be gone.
1: Well, you know, they tore this house down and this house and that house. There's three houses around us where they have torn down these, you know, older homes and built their mansions and now those properties are worth over a million dollars. Well, you know, that's hard for us because our taxes shoot up every year, you know. Uh-huh. So we really need to kind of think about controlling what's going on in Austin as far as the development is concerned. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. Everybody says, you need to run for city council. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to Mike Martinez.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you one more question okay, here. Absolutely. And we're going to in <laughs> um, this. But what is there anything that you feel that needs to be discussed that we haven't touched based on? That maybe the uh, individuals that listen to this and the MAC will be given copies. When it's all said and done, they will be given copies. But is there anything? You know, there really
1: isn't anything that, that we've talked about that, um, you know, that, that you know, that I mean, I don't think there's anything else that we need to cover. The only thing that I really want to say is how proud I am and how honored I am to be a part of the Perez and the Ramos familia and that, you know, our our, our wonderful fathers and our wonderful mothers, you know, that supported our fathers, um, you know, because being a musician was very hard work and it still is, you know, and, and they couldn't earn a living from that and so they, they did it part-time so just how honored and blessed that we were to be a part of this wonderful rich cultural tradition in our city and in our community and how our families were such a great part of that and still are you know uh, i think ruben just won a grammy uh, last year or the year before you know so all of all of my tíos and and you know uh, and my antepasados for that you know most of my theos have passed away now, but they, they, before they passed away, <coughs> they wanted to make sure that we were going to continue, you know, to continue in their footsteps and, and, and to, to keep the cultural heritage going. And they were so proud of us for being, uh, musicians and, and building this Mexican cultural center. They were all aware of it, you know? Yeah. Most of them did not live to see it, but, um, their children did, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I guess the other uh, other thing about the Perez and Ramos family <coughs> is that you know, in the culture, the cultural aspect is that you know, in, in back in their day, they were raised around um, Bastrop and Elgin and Manor, and um, you know, there was a lot of racism and a lot of prejudice, and so our families were not able to go to school with the Anglo kids. So they were shunned, and so as a result, they were sent to some old building somewhere to go to school with just Mexicans, right? So as it turned out, you know, uh, my family loved education and they created their own independent school district and it was called the Bettis Independent School District. And, um, And so those records are archived at the University of Texas and also in Houston and so as you know as time went on so many of us became educators so we have a long line of not only musicians but also in the educational vein you know so in a way it kind of worked to our benefit in that we all had we were all very fortunate to get a great education so that we could come and be a part of the discussions that needed to be made in order to be successful at the Mexican Cultural Center. So I was really grateful for um you know for the education that I received and and uh you know come from a long line of educators and teachers and college professors and lawyers and uh you know legislators and and uh so it I think that um you know again just very very proud and honored to have been a part to be a part of this beautiful family and community.
0: Well, I think that, you know, uh, it says volumes for that center, but again, to see all of this rich history, uh, and we, as through this project, all of this rich history coming out in the forefront now because we're getting to see that so many people were involved and so much was happening. Yeah. And um uh, but all to have a building. Yeah. a place to have a building, have a place, a place mm-hmm. that yeah. And 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 again, you bring him back together yeah. the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. the community, mm-hmm. the family, yeah. the people, yeah. And that is the one thing yeah. that I see yeah. is all of that coming together.
1: Yeah. We're saving our culture.
0: We're not going to let it go. I mean, we can't. Yeah, because it is amazing to listen to people in these interviews, uh-huh. and I've listened to all of them. <laughs> and you're you you they are coming in like yeah. through this, side, through this, side, through this, side, and it all coming yeah. together. Uh-huh. Yeah. They might have been involved at different time yeah. periods, but there is this little right in the middle. And they're coming, uh-huh. right? Isn't it amazing? And it's just joining.
1: And you know, we—I mean, it, it, when we first got the land, uh, the the land has been blessed many, many times. You know, and yeah. and uh, there's a lot of spirituality behind, uh, you know, behind it as well. So, you know, I believe I believe that we were all very, very blessed, and and uh, that we have been, and we continue to be, and and hopefully for the future generations that we will keep this Mexican cultural center alive and vibrant. Just as our culture is, and uh, there's no reason for us not to
0: have this beautiful yeah. space. Well, um uh, uh, I thank you very much for giving me the time. Thank you uh, for so allowing glad. us to do this interview. And uh, yes, if you have any you. more questions,
1: you're welcome.